I want to invite you this morning to turn to the book of First Peter so we can hear the voice of somebody who really heard the voice of Christ. You ever stop to think, and we talked about this this week in, my, in our family's devotions, um, you ever stop and think what Jesus' voice sounded like? And this is, this is one of those things that I have a hard time, and maybe it's just me, but I have a hard time imagining Jesus as a bombastic preacher. I have a hard time, and this is, this is not, I'm not knocking people, I just have a hard time seeing Jesus as some of those preachers we see on TV. Uh, my dad used to call it the California wine. Um, but the, the, oh, God loves you. And I also don't think he's this, Jesus was this fire-breathing, stump-sucking, southern, rock-gut preacher who had one sermon he just preached every Sunday because everybody he ever knew was still lost even though they came to the altar 46 times. I mean, I don't think he was that either. I don't think that was his voice. I wonder, to be perfectly honest, I wonder whether Jesus had, Jesus' voice had any of the characteristics of what we would think would be a great speaker. Bible does say there was no comeliness that we should desire him. I, I wonder what his voice sounded like. And here's the thing. Whatever it sounded like, it resonated in Peter's head. Peter was one of those guys. I mean, the Apostle John later on, he would write that he could tell you about the things he had touched and he had felt and that he had known about Jesus. He had seen Jesus with his own eyes. And Peter was just like that. Peter had the same experience of Christ. Of course, uh, John is always, John's almost never rebuked, you know, but Peter, pretty much everything Jesus says to him is correcting him, all right? Um, you know, and, and I think that tells us a lot about how much Jesus loved Peter. I mean, I think he loved John, but I think John was much younger. I think Peter had some bad habits that had to be corrected, and Jesus took him to task on those bad thought, habits and thoughts, and I think that Peter learned from it. Um, sometimes I think also that we read the Bible and we think that as we're reading through the Gospels, we forget that we forget that these guys were learning. We, we think of the disciples as kind of these two-dimensional guys who Jesus had chosen and they're just kind of the targets of what Jesus says, right? But they were learning, they were growing. Um, they, were, they were the Talmudim, which is, which is the students of the rabbi. And Jesus was, um, it's the, that's the, that's the uh, Hebrew word that's translated as Matthäus, uh, um, Matthias, which is disciple, right? I'm getting that wrong. But anyway, it doesn't matter. You don't care. Um, and then we, we brought it into Latin as, as disciple, and that's where our word comes from. But it means a follower. Um, in fact, the rabbi said, um, you could tell a true disciple by the fact that he was covered by the dust of his teacher's sandals. Because he just followed the teacher everywhere and, and learned from the teacher. And that was what Peter was. He was learning. And, and when we go to 1 Peter, we see Peter as the teacher. Peter has matured to become the teacher. He's matured to become the rock that Jesus called him. Jesus called him Kepha or Petros. He called him the rock. But Peter had to grow into being the rock. And I can just imagine Peter being a fisherman and being acquainted with water and everything later on in his life going... I think a pearl would have been a better illustration or, or possibly a dust bunny, you know. 
Because it rocks, you don't see rocks grow, but Peter was growing as Jesus was working on him, making him into the rock. We've spent several weeks now talking about submission. Submission to government, submission in marriage, submission in relationships, in God's, God's ordained um, order of things, which is actually redundant because ordain and order come from the same word, but you don't care. Um, that's, that's not me saying that you don't care. It's me saying to myself, shut up, Eric, move on. Um, so let's take a look at 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 8. Just finally. After all this stuff that we've read about in chapter 2 and chapter 3 about submission, you know, 2.13 all the way through to 3.7, we've been talking about all these relationships. He says, finally, at the end of all that, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Now that's where we're going to camp, but I want to I go past that so we can catch what he says because he, he describes our action in the world as followers of Christ here. And he says in verse 9, Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. Now, uh, I think that when he says that, by the way, when he says you may obtain a blessing, I think that Peter is looking back to the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus says blessed is, blessed is, blessed is. Matthew chapter 5. I think he's talking about that. but, But look at what he says. This is how he describes uh, a Christian who is in proper submission. All right, um, this is how he describes a Christian in proper submission. He says, "Do not repay evil for evil, reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless." Now that is an extraordinarily complicated thing he just said. That is extraordinarily hard. You might remember that Jesus, again, on the Sermon on the Mount, he said, what profit is there for those that love their friends? He said, but rather love your enemies. This was something that Peter had to learn to do. I picture Peter as one of those guys with very strong opinions and very few friends. He seemed to be a little bit gruff, a little rough around the edges. He seemed to be very confident um, he seemed to appear, let me put it, let me rephrase it that way. Peter seemed to appear very confident because he was the leader of his household. He was expected to know the answers. I mean, when his sons or daughters came to him and said, Daddy, why are there fish in the sea? He had to know why there were fish in the sea. He couldn't just make up a story. He had to be the authority. And for so long in his life, and, I, and I've mentioned this earlier, but I think Peter is older. He's probably older than Jesus. Um, and Peter is an older guy. He's got a mother-in-law. He's got a wife. He's got a home. He's, he's got a home big enough that Peter, Jesus can live in the house with him. So Peter is a relatively established guy. When he gets to be called to be a disciple, he's used to being in charge. And so he had to learn in his life that he was not in charge, that he was a part of something bigger. In fact, he had to learn that the most important thing about a rock that you build something on is that it's under everything else. I think Peter had to learn that lesson. And now he comes and he says, look, I want to tell you about the lesson that I learned. And the lesson begins with this. Do not repay evil for evil, reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. Bless. 
Now, what do you notice about that command? I want, you to, I want you to just catch this for a moment. Do not repay evil for evil, reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. What is missing there? He doesn't say repay blessing for blessing. He doesn't say bless those who bless you. He simply says, be a blessing. Bless. That's all he says. He says this is an unconditional action of being a blessing in the lives of those people you come in contact with. Friends, enemies, frenemies, all right? BFFs, BEFs, um, KFC, whatever, whatever it is, you are called to be a blessing. Now here's the deal about Peter. I'm not sure that Peter believed he could be a blessing. If you go back and read Peter's life, I think he had a hard time being a blessing to others. Now part of that was his sinful nature. Part of it was that he had lived his life being very confident in all those things. And I think 90% of the rebuffs and rebukes that Jesus gives to Peter are Jesus saying to Peter, Peter, stop! Think! Be! You don't have to rush headlong into this stuff. Just be a blessing. And the extraordinary thing is that he, without even knowing about it, I think Peter was an extraordinary blessing to Jesus. And Jesus rebukes him a lot of times because Jesus sees so much potential in Peter. And he wants him to arise so that Peter can be a blessing to those who will come after. Peter is an extraordinary, extraordinarily interesting person. But how do we do it? How do we do it? Do not do evil to those who do evil, right? Do not, do not repay evil for evil. Or, or uh, do not repay evil for evil. Do not repay reviling for reviling. But on the contrary, in opposition to that, be a blessing. Bless. All right, now, now when he says this, for, the, for this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. Again, remember, look back at Matthew 5 when you read the, the, the Beatitudes. You don't have to go there now, but it might be a good idea to do this week if you want to. Look at what he describes as being blessed. He talks about being poor in spirit. He talks about hungering and thirsting after righteousness. So he's not talking about bless others and God will give you millions of dollars. That's not what he's talking about at all. He's saying, but rather you will be blessed because you will be in conformity with the kingdom of God. And you will be blessed because you will be a blessing to others. Being a blessing to others is a blessing to God and makes you part of the blessed. Do not do this. So how do we do it? That, that's the real question. And, and Peter, actually, he puts the statement of what we're supposed to do second and he puts the how do we do it first. All right? Um, because he's Peter. All right? And Peter knows you catch fish by by throwing the nets out. So he, do, he, do, he, doesn't say, he doesn't say, throw out the nets, catch fish. All right? He says, to, here's, we're going to catch fish by throwing out the net. All right? So he's got it backwards. Um, but that's okay. How do we do it? And he sets us up. This is one... I, I'll put this the right way. It's one of the most gorgeous pieces of poetry Peter writes. Um, Peter, uses, <clears throat> Peter uses an ancient Hebrew poetic device um, that, that basically, in Hebrew, every word sound, ends with eth or em or ought. You know, it's 
there's not a lot of variation on the endings of words. Um, and so, and so what they would do is they would use their ideas. They would rhyme their ideas, and they would rhyme their first syllables, and they have all the same. And one of the ways that they would write poetry is they would write an idea, and then they would write a second related idea, and then they would write the core idea that they were trying to get at, and then they would go back and they would write something similar to the second idea, and then write something similar to the first idea. So you kind of have idea one, idea two, main idea, idea two, idea one. So kind of zigging in and out like a... Um, that's what he's doing. And he does it here at the beginning of, of verse 8. Uh, er, er, this is the core of verse 8. He gives us five statements, right? He says, finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Now, the clue that he's doing this should be the first and the last pieces. Because what do they both have in them? What word do they have? Mind, all right? So, so he's setting up, those are the bookends. And then two and four, the ideas, the second one are sympathy and a tender heart. And the middle one is what? Brotherly love. So he's working himself into, this is his core idea, brotherly love. All right, this is what he's working on. So I wanna, I wanna just take a few minutes. Believe it or not, that was all introduction. The sermon's gonna be about five minutes long. Um, the, I, wanna, I wanna look at those those five ideas and how they will allow us to be a blessing to one another. So would you join me in prayer? Father, as we look at just these five simple ideas, help us to be more like you. Help us to be more like Christ, to learn like Peter did, of him to be like him, to be a blessing to others. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, I've got to tell you this first of all. This is to all of you. Okay? So this is not an individualized thing. This is something we have to do together. And here it is, these five things. Number one, he says you have to have a unity of mind, the same mind. What does he mean by that? It means that when you enter into a, 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 an act or a goal or a relationship or a ministry or whatever it is that you're entering in, you want to share the same mind. Uh, and, and since he's talked about marriages in the previous one, I'll, I'll, I'll talk about marriage. Often when we are in marriages, we enter those marriages, husband and wife, with different ideas of what that marriage would be. So our first priority should, should be to get ourselves to a point that we have the same mind. Right? Now, the Apostle Paul elsewhere would say, have this mind in you which was also in Christ Jesus. All right, so to have the same mind is to see things together the way that Jesus sees them. And how did Jesus see sinners? How did Jesus see you and me, every human being on earth? How did he see us? He saw us as a physician sees us who wishes to heal us. He saw us as a master sees a, a, a dis disobedient servant who wishes to restore them. He saw us as their kinsman redeemer who had a brother or sister who had fallen who wanted to bring them back into healthy relationships with him. And so he saw someone in need and he, he met that need. 
That was Jesus' MO. Why did Jesus spend so much time healing people? So many theologians say, well, it was to prove his divinity. There were healers all over the place in those days. There were people claiming to raise the dead and all that stuff. That wasn't that big of a deal. But Jesus does it, and the gospel writers record it because of that one moment where Jesus says, the, 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 um, the healthy don't have a need for a physician, only the sick. He said, you are sick. You need help. You need me. Let me minister to you. Let me help you. Let me love you. Let me transform you. Let me redeem you. Let me do all of these things. And we are called to have Christ's mind. We can't redeem. We can't heal. We can't do all the things that Jesus could do. But we're in union with him. And so we need to represent him to those who who he will heal and he will touch and he will mend and he will transform. And we have to share his mind together. This week I got called a closet Roman Catholic on the internet. I did. I, I have no idea. I, I don't know what it means. And the reason was because I capitalized the word church. The internet, some of you may notice, some of you may notice in Facebook I posted the other day that the internet has given fools a global platform to prove they're fools. Um, and this is this is... I got accused of it, and Nicole got to deal with me going, what on earth is going now? Nobody cares. It's some, some person with a blog that only his mom reads. But, um, but the, 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 the reality was I got accused of this, and the reason was because I said Christians can't operate independently. We have to be a community. Christ didn't come. Jesus did not come to Peter and say, Behold, I will make you this rock, and upon this rock I will plant billions and billions of individually self-contained people. He said, I will build my church. And we as believers, we come together with Christ's mind to find Christ's mind that we might do his mission. That's the church. That's what we're about. So we have to have one mind. So we have to have that, that unity of mind. And then he says, with sympathy. And you know the amazing thing about this? You can learn Greek. You know what the Greek word for sympathy is? Sympathy. It is transliterated from Greek. Um, it comes from sin, which means together, and pathos, which means to feel. To feel together. To feel together. Uh, yesterday, yesterday, my friend Brett was fixing my brakes, and we had the wrong brake pads, and we had to go pick up brakes. And as we were driving by, um, we are driving down the road, we're on Hooksit Road in Hooksit, and we passed this guy who was doing this. He was walking on the street. Young kid. He's walking on the street like this. Right? And... And I looked at him, and he looked at me, and he said, what's going on? I said, he doesn't have shoes on. He's walking in his socks. I said, that's weird. So we drove, we got the pads. I said, he said, should we stop and give him a ride? I said, he's not going anywhere. Get the pads, we'll come back and get him. We, we turned around, we came back. Now the two of us, and, and Brett is not a Christian, but the two of us were in one mind about this. We're not going to let this kid walk wherever he's going. Because he's on Hooksit Road. Those you have been in Hooksit, you know, there's like... He, he was past all of the retail stuff, which meant he was headed to Concord. You know, I mean, this is where... So, and so he's got a 10-mile walk ahead of him. We turn around, come out. And Brett, because both of us are martial artists and we're, we're reasonably able to kick somebody out of the car if they pull a knife or something. We were, all right, we're going we're gonna to do this. And so, so we pulled over and we pulled this kid in. And a kid had been on a bender and he, just, he, was, he was stoned. And there was all kinds of craziness that was going on with this kid. And, and, and he had been at a party and, and he had left because he got in a fight. And somebody took his shoes. 
left his wallet, left his phone, left all of his stuff, which means he's hanging out with very intelligent people. All right? Because that's, well, let's take his shoes. <laughs> all right. Anyway, he had walked from somewhere over by CMC. He had walked all the way to Hooksett Road. And so he had walked probably six or seven miles. His feet were bleeding. He was dehydrated. He told us he hadn't slept in five days. I mean, he was, he was in rough shape. And the two of us, without, without a thought, now, you guys know me. I don't like to touch people. So you can imagine, we're in a bench seat pickup truck. I slid right over, let him get in, sat next to Brett. He was shifting gears. You've ever had to sit in the middle of an autom- a manual transmission truck? You know, this is not the most comfortable position to sit in while we're driving to Concord. Right? Why? Well, because, because the two of us agreed on it, and we both felt the same thing. Now, this is a human thing. We sometimes we feel the same emotions. Now, what is that sympathy supposed to be? It's about feeling Christ's emotions. It's about feeling the pain when we see a sinner who has turned their back on God and turned their back on any hope of salvation. And we, we feel God's pain. We feel Christ's pain. Why was Christ crucified? Because that most painful form of death, one aspect of it is that that most painful form of death reflected the agony that our sin creates in the soul of God. He was wounded for my transgressions. That, that, that's literal. I think we wound God. And you say, well, God is impervious to... Yes, I know all that stuff, but God is also a very emotional being. And he can be grieved, and he can be angry, and he can be, he can, there, there's a lot going on with God. And I believe that, I believe our sin tears at the very fabric of, of, of who God is. He, he does not desire us to be broken. He desires us to be healed and restored. So we have to be in sympathy with his mind. You will never, you will never, you will never be gospel-centered until you feel God's beating heart for sinners. But once you feel that passion, you will say, I will do anything I can to bring people to Christ. Now, I won't violate the gospel. I won't violate the scriptures. There are guys that are willing to break the, the, break the law and break the commandments in order to get somebody saved, you know. I mean, uh, all of Europe was converted at the edge of the sword. Not biblical, okay. Um, but we feel God's heart. Now the flip side of those two, as a human being, my response to being one with the mind of Christ, go all the way down to the bottom of the list, is to have a humble mind. And my response to knowing the feelings and emotions and passion, the, the pathos, sympathos of God and Christ, is to have a tender heart. And those things, the meeting of God, who he is, and knowing what God is and who he is and what he's doing, and feeling that and living that out in my life, the outgrowth of that in my relationships is Philadelphos, the brotherly love. Philos means brother, Adelphos means, uh, uh, yeah, Philos means love, Adelphos means brothers. So Philadelphos, the love of a brother. Now let me tell you, I'd never had a brother. I have two sisters. Um, and uh, and my, my dad had a brother, but my dad's brother was six or nine years younger than him. I don't remember how young. Um, and so we, we, both of us, he and I are both, we're both basically brotherless people. <laughs> All right? 
And so as a result, we develop very, very strong relationships with our male friends. My male friends are my, my brothers. And I would give my shirt off, the shirt off my back for my brothers. And I love my brothers. Now, if you've had a brother, if you have a brother, you know what this is like. If you had a big brother, and you're, you're a girl or a boy, really, I guess. You had a big brother. He did nothing but pick on you your entire life. But if anyone else picked on you, he was not going to tolerate that. And Lori's shaking her head. How many older brothers do you have? Four younger brothers, but you have 86 younger older brothers, right? They, you know, I mean, my, my grandfather had my grandfather had five brothers, right? And they and he was the young he was not the youngest, but he was the smallest. And he would he would walk down the street. This is my favorite story about my grandfather. He would walk down the street with a, literally a chip on his shoulder. And he would challenge a piece of wood on his challenge. And he would just walk down and dare people to knock the chip off his shoulder. That's where the chip on your shoulder was way of picking fights. That's what I didn't know that was actually tied to an actual behavior. Um, but you would walk down the street with a chip on your shoulder. And if somebody knocked it off, they would go to fight my grandfather, Tony, and his four brothers, all of whom were six feet tall and built like, like uh, railroad train locomotives, would be hiding in the shadows to pummel this kid. This was what they did for pastime. This is what Italian kids did in the 20s. All right? They, they, <laughs> this is, and I just, I'm like, man, they talk about living on the edge. That's what they would do. And they would just beat the kid until his brothers showed up and then they would leave. And, you know, that, that was, that was the, how they lived. That was just the way they lived. And, and a brother right? A brother is just, that is an asset. And for me, my, 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 my male friends, my, my guy friends, they are, they are my brothers. I would do anything for my brothers. Now I would do anything for my wife and daughter, all right? But, I, but my brothers are my friends. And, and there's something about being together with my brother. And my Christian brothers, my pastor brother friends, all right, are even closer than those relationships because not only are we, we both guys and we're brothers, but we also share a common passion and common challenges and we, we, we grow together. And some of, some of my greatest, my favorite relationships in the world are with those guys. Guys like Jason Post, um, guys like Darren Shaw. Um, guy, I mean, I could go through and list the guys. Danny Patterson is a pastor in, in Portland. They're just guys, I just absolutely love those guys. Um, we don't always agree, you know, it's like any other brotherhood. You have a brotherhood, and these guys, you fight on each, beat on each other, but as soon as somebody opposes you, you come after them. That's, that's brotherly love. Brotherly love is a devotion that is born, I think, biblically, the love of Christian brothers and sisters is born out of a unity with Christ's mind, which makes us, gives us a humble mind. And a, a sympathy with, God's, with Christ's passions, which gives us a tender heart. And then we are bound together in the Philadelphos, the, the brotherly love. And that brotherly love flows out of our community into, and out of our relationships into other relationships. Why have such an extraordinary number for generations, why has such an extraordinary number of children raised in the church abandoned the church when they got older? This is a question that plagues pastors. But I think there's a one of the important points about this is that they do not see, often they do not see a genuine love in the church. They often see, and I was a preacher's kid, so I know this, 
children growing up in the church often see people in contests and fighting and different agendas and disunity and dis- disjointed ministries. And, and they see people competing for resources and competing for people. And, and, and I mean, I growing, going through training as a pastor, I got to watch out for sheep stealers. You know what a sheep stealer is? It's a pastor who just builds his church on other pe- churches' people. Um, you know, and, and be aware, and all these warnings about keep your eyes open for this, and, and all of this discord and dis, dis, disruption. One of the reasons why you'll never see me fight somebody who says they're going to leave the congregation, or we're going to leave the church. I'm really sorry to hear that. Let me help you connect with a congregation that will, will better meet you because you must be unchurched here. We must not be able to minister to you. You say, how could you do that? Don't you need those people? I refuse to to fight and and feed discord and disharmony into the church. I don't want to see that. I personally, this is not this is not preaching. This is me personally. I I detest the idea that Christianity is characterized by division and argument and fighting. I, I just I just I I detest that. That is not what we learned of Christ. You want to you fight and argue against heresy? Fine. But don't fight and argue about things we're not completely clear on. We are supposed to be characterized by Philadelphos, the love of brothers. And when that overflows out of the church, when that overflows out of your life, into your life, and it fills you up, and then it fills, it comes out into your life, guess what it does? It becomes, you become a blessing. You become a blessing. If in our ministry and life as a congregation, we never do one single massive huge event, if we never build a congregation bursting out of the walls, if we never ever manage to have a band that could play every week, that's okay. As long as the, the mind and heart of Christ flow out of us in brotherly love into our relationships, both, both within the church and with our, our families and outside of our families. Wouldn't it be an extraordinary testimony? And again, I'm talking by myself and I'm, I'm going to be done right here. It would be I gotta phrase this the right way. I don't wanna make this sound arrogant. So if it sounds arrogant, I phrased it wrong, okay? The most extraordinary testimony I could ever have as a pastor is that when I am dead and in heaven and eating all the pasta that I want and not gaining a pound, when I am dead and gone, Bedford Road, the church that I plan to pastor until I die, Bedford Road continues to be known in our community as this, that body, that, that love overflows from them into every relationship they have. That would be the legacy that I would want to have. That is what I would desire to have. I, that's what I hope to be able to hand off to whoever takes over in 50 or 60 years. That, that, that driving, and let me tell you something. And I want to tell you this as I close. And I, I'm not bragging about you guys. And don't get a big head. Make sure you can still fit through that door at the end. 
This body of believers comes closer to that ideal than any church I have ever seen. I don't know how else to say it. For all of your quirks and, and, and habits and craziness, this body of believers pours love on people like no congregation I have ever seen. And that's not because I'm an extraordinary pastor. I, I actually don't think I'm that great of a pastor. I don't think I'm a bad one, but I'm not going to pretend to false humility there. But I can think it's because you are people who want to know the mind and heart of God. And as you know that, you let that overflow. And that grows out. And that's extraordinary. And that's amazing. And that's why I keep coming back every Sunday. And I think that's why you keep coming back. I'm not sure it's because I preach. I think it's because you just want to see everybody else here. And know how much you're loved. And to love others. And I hope and pray that that's our legacy. That when Jesus looks down from heaven and sees our little piece of the church... Bedford Road Baptist Church, Lower Sea. He says, they're trying to love. They want to know my mind. They want to know my heart. They're loving people. That's what I hope we're known for. Would you join me in prayer? Father, continue to join our minds to Christ's. Join our minds together. Continue to join our hearts and our feelings to Christ's. As He was crucified, we are crucified. Help us to know the pain that our sin has brought and the grace that His forgiveness brings. Help us to love. Help us to grow in love, always abounding overflowing to one another, to those outside these doors, to people we may never see or know. Help us to be known. Help us to be known as people united with you. I pray for each marriage represented here. I pray for each single person here. I pray for each parent here. Grandparent, great-grandparent. Child, son, daughter, niece, nephew, uncle, church member, employee, every single one of us, that our lives will be pervaded with Christ's mind. Pray it through his name. Amen.